Lord Jesus. We worship you, my God. We worship you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your mercy. Oh, he's so great. Let's love him. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, my God, for your mercies. Lord, we stand in awe of you today. Hallelujah. 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 I worship you. I worship you, God. Thank you, Brother Tanny. God bless every one of you. If you would, turn with me to um, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4, and the book of Isaiah, chapter number 28. We um, did not finish up yesterday, but I believe we went as far as the Holy Ghost deemed. And um, so we want to come back today. And um, we're talking about the subject, what a difference a line can make. And then in the reading from Deuteronomy chapter number 4, two verses, verse 7 and 8. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them? As the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? That was the church in the wilderness. And that was the shadow, if you please. This is the substance. He planned Israel, the Scripture says, from the foundation of the earth. But he planned a bride from before the foundations of the earth. And then in Isaiah 28, beginning with verse number 9, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk, drawn from the breast, the sincere milk of the word of God, if you will. And the church is the New Jerusalem, the mother of us all. And this is the way he gives knowledge and doctrine. For precept or a principle must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line or a scripture is upon line. Line upon line or commandment upon commandment. Here a little and there a little. That's why you don't find one chapter that tells you everything you need to know about baptism. It's here a little and there a little and here a little and there a little. There's no one chapter that fills us in about the Holy Ghost. It's here a little and there a little and here a little and there a little. And... Um, then in verse 13, but the word of the Lord was given unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. And I will just simply suffice it to say this, that God made a road map to get us from here to glory. And He wrote it in such a way that the honest hearted, what's going to make it in.
He's just a wise master builder, and he's a good writer, and he knows humanity. And the only thing he asks of us, if you will, is, I've got a little sermon I'm working on. I haven't got it down yet, but it says, if you want to get clean, you've got to come clean. Praise God. There's mercy, there's grace, abundant. All he's got to find is honesty. And when he finds that with repentance, etc., all the mercy and the grace of the ages will come your way. Hallelujah. So God wants us to be sensitive to him. And, uh, and he wants us to go to heaven far worse than any of us want to be there. So let's pray this morning that he would anoint us, his words anointed, that he'd anoint all of us. Lord Jesus, we're asking you to give us ears to hear what your sweet, gracious spirit would say unto us. We plainly need your anointing. We must have the mind of your spirit. You've got to help us. You've got to strengthen us. You have got to minister to us in the beautiful, gracious, lovely name of Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. God bless you so much. You may be seated. If someone is perhaps listening to this tape right now because you purchased it or somebody gave it to you, stop the tape and go get tape number one because to listen to this without number one won't be what it probably should be. Thank you. God bless you. We'll talk to you again after you finish tape number one. Hallelujah. Modern technology. Hallelujah. Now, quickly we did talk a little bit how that when God brought the church of the wilderness out, He separated them to be His people. And they were not to be like other peoples of the earth. He separated them not only geographically, spiritually, morally, theologically, mentally, emotionally, and financially. Hallelujah. He separated them for Himself. They weren't to believe like the world, think like the world, feel like the world, look like the world, live like the world, or give like the world. So in Isaiah 5, my beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. The first thing he did was fence it. He gathered out the stones thereof. He planted a choicest vine. He built a tower and he made a wine press. And then he came looking for the fruit. In the Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 12, he spoke of the church being a garden enclosed, his sister, his spouse. Chapter 6, verse 11, he stated that we needed to go down to the garden to see whether the vine flourished. In chapter 2, verse 15, he said we need to catch the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. For our vines do have tender grapes. Tender grapes tend to be the sweetest, the most beautiful. Amen. But also in some regards, they're vulnerable. And so it was behooved them to catch foxes, little foxes, that would spoil the vine. And so we talked about uh, fencing, etc. And what a difference a line can make. 
Now we're living in quite a generation where all lines of righteousness, lines of morality, lines that society took for granted are becoming blurred, obliterated, erased, twisted, etc. Um, if there is a theme song that will be played in hell, it will probably be something a little ditty. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? Or what does it matter? What does it matter? You know, there's a lot of things that matter that they may not seem to. You know, it was just a little gate, just a little gate between a rich man who fared sumptuously every day and a man, Lazarus, that laid outside his gate and covered with sores and the dogs licked his body. And Lazarus died and went to paradise. Now I'm going to tell you, he didn't get to heaven because he was poor and sick. He got there because he was saved. So here was a saved individual covered with sores and dogs licking them. Hallelujah. And then on the inside, this man was saved. Now he was miserable at the time. The man on the other side of the little gate was lost, but he was comfortable all the way. Well, I'll throw you a little message here. I'd rather be, if need be, miserably saved than comfortably lost. Hallelujah. Amen. But that little gate, when they stepped across the river, turned out to be a great gulf between them. A great gulf between them. It was just a few steps. Joab hooked arm in arm with Abner as they were walking towards the gate of Hebron and talking of days gone by, perhaps endeavors in warfare they had been with together. And it was just a few steps, but when Joab got Abner outside of the gate of Hebron, the city of refuge, the place of safety, with a, a man, a knife, he thrust it under his rib because he knew if I can get him outside of the place of safety, uh, I'm the blood avenger for his brother Asahel, and etc., etc. So those few steps made a big difference in Abner's existence. And the locks of hair that seemed so small, innocuous, and despised by profane Samson, they took on new proportions when his eyes were burned out and he found himself grinding out the corn that fed the enemies that mocked his God. And so little things can matter. And so we talked about differences that lines can make. Now, last year towards the, well, in October, we, uh, we left conference and my family and I went up to uh, Washington, D.C. Now, see, that was finishing up yesterday. Now we're in phase two, praise God. Uh, and um, we went to see the sites there. And we went to the National Archives. And we went up there to see the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, saw the Magna Carta there, the foundation of English law and liberty. And um, H. Ross Perot 
bought it at an auction in Great Britain for $28 million, walked up the steps with it under his arm and presented it to the curator and said, you might want to present that. So <laughs> they did. But um, so we were seeing these sites and just to the left of the podium holding the Declaration of Independence as you make your way around the circular area was something that gripped my attention because I had been working on this and I was shocked, really shocked. There was the was various patents that were very important to the history of America. And so next to the Declaration of Independence was this patent by Joseph Glidden, November 24, 1874. A very, not famous patent, but very important patent to the actual <clears throat> civilization, uh, especially of the western half of America. Now, after the Civil War, uh, the cattle industry became a huge business. A uh, couple of reasons. The Civil War was over, both in North and South. There was a lot of broken-hearted, disenchanted people and uh, that had been involved in the war. There were families missing sons on both sides and, and memories and, and, uh, and, and poverty and heartache. And, and so a lot of people were looking for a new life, and so... The migration to the West became great. In 1849, the gold rush, it really took off. But now people were interested in points in between California and the rest of, of uh, what was considered settled America. And uh, so the, the people that made their way, they needed cattle. But army posts were put all out through there to protect these people as they came through as they began to settle from uh, marauding Indians. And so the army post needed a lot of cattle. People that were settling uh, needed a lot of cattle. And so the cattlemen became big on the scene, and they grazed their cattle where the buffalo used to roam. Amen. And so these cattlemen were called grangers. And uh, they served a place in the American drama. But they built no farms, established no communities, no cities, hence, if you please, no civilization. They just roamed their cattle, took them to market back and forth out from Texas. It took settlers, settlers to build the nation. So the Grangers called the settlers nesters. And there was not good blood between them. The Grangers weren't high on the nesters. And uh, the number one problem that the Grangers had with the nesters was over fencing. Because the nesters wanted a fence. And these farmers, if you please, they had to have protection from the same things all builders of civilization have had to have. Three things. One, protection from the elements. Two, protection from man. Three, protection from wild beasts or beasts. And so for protection from the elements, they build houses, barns. You have to have that. Protection from man, there was laws, punishments, weapons, etc. 
protection from beasts, that's wild beasts, and other men's beasts, and your own beasts. You had to have fences to keep the cows, the longhorns, passing through out of your wheat fields and cornfields, and to keep your own livestock, your own cattle, your own pigs out of your fields. You just had to have a fence. And uh, so it's in the eastern part where trees are everywhere. That's a different story than the great Midwest where trees are hard to come by. And so many of the, the early fencing, obviously, was wood fencing here in the eastern and southern part of the United States. You could also, where there was a lot of water, grow hedges. Everywhere in the Bible where you read of fencing, you're dealing with either hedges or rocks that constituted fencing. And, uh, and so you had rocks in, in northern New, uh, England, New England, and a lot of trees. So you had a lot of wood fences. But when you got out there, you couldn't find trees like that. And uh, who had enough time and labor and ability to dig up enough rocks to make the thousands of miles of fencing that was needed? And so there was a great problem. And fencing was the single biggest hindrance to the settlement and growth of Western America. So much so, amen, that, and, I'm, and I give you a quote, questions pertaining to fencing occupied more space in public newspapers than any other issue in America. There was more in American papers and public print about fencing problems than there was about politics, economics, or military endeavors. Now, can you imagine that in 1999? And uh, fencing was a big problem. In 1870, it cost the nation of America, well, the nation of America's farmers, the gross intake was $93 million. $963,187, according to the government. They had to spend more money on repairing their fences than they did taking in on their farm products. Because wood deteriorates, has to be replaced, built, etc., etc., etc. So America was coming to a, 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 a bottleneck, a standstill over fencing. And so between, at the end of the Civil War, 65 to 1875, there were over 800 fence patents issued. And in the years 1866, 7 and 8, there were 368 fence patents. Now, I wish I could have brought it, but I, I just couldn't fit it in my, my luggage. But I've got two pieces of wood. Sometimes in restaurants, maybe some of you collect this, I don't know, but in restaurants you'll go to certain places where there's a Western flavor and you will see various strands of barbed wire on a plaque board of some kind. And I've got two of them and I had to literally call 64 different antique shops before I could find them. And I finally found uh, these and I ran up about 60 miles and and uh, bottom, and, and I was stupid because when I said, this was number 64, and I said, uh, do you got this uh, antique barbed wire fencing? 
and said, uh, yeah, we got two packs of it. I said, oh, thank goodness. What a fool. <laughs> I paid through the nose on that one, buddy. And uh, so anyway, uh, if I had it, I could show you um, these various types of, of barbed wire. And, and they're really unique because when I say barbed wire, we all get a picture in our mind. You know, the two strands. And, and, and I mean, we pretty much probably all, when you think of barbed wire, we've got a picture. Well, the picture that we probably have got was a patent called, quote, the winner, unquote. That's what Mr. Glidden patented. That was the patent I saw at the National Archives. And so he patented this patent, and out of the 800 patents, this is the one that took off. It took off. They were all good patents. Some of them were more um, financially feasible than others, but many of them were right in the same realm. But, but, but Glidden's patent, it's the one that, if you please, won the West. The reason is not that his, his quality was any better, but he had a salesman by the name of John Warner Gates. And he was 22 years old, and he was very discouraged barbed wire salesman because the cattlemen, amen, the nesters, nobody really believed that this strands of thin little wire is going to hold in a beast that wants to get through it. And he was sitting in a bar in San Antonio, drinking his water. And uh, feeling discouraged and blue, when an idea hit him. And so he fenced off a large area, let's just say about the size of this tabernacle. And he sent out Leaflets everywhere made loud proclamations. And, and so the cattlemen came and the nesters came and everybody came. And, and so he had strands of barbed wire. I believe it was six strands on the posts. And then in between. Uh, and then the wire strung. And he herded in literally a hundred or more Texas longhorns in to that. Enclosed area. Well, they didn't think those that fence ain't going to hold them longhorns. Then he got a lighted torch, and he ran into the midst of those longhorns, swinging that firebrand and yelling and whooping, and and those those steers are going crazy, and they were going out to the fence, but they they get and they and they and they wouldn't get out, and he drove them crazy, and everybody's watching, and they couldn't believe. What was happening before their eyes? This fence was holding in crazy Texas Longhorns. And then he stood on a podium and he screamed, This is the finest fence in the world! It's light as air, stronger than whiskey and cheaper than dirt. Hallelujah. We could have got him converted. He'd have made a great preacher. Hallelujah. Well... The rush was on. That's why that wire became the wire that won the West. That year they sold 10,000 pounds of wire. 
1875, they sold 600,000. 1876, 2,840,000. 1877, 12,863,000. 1876, 1879, it just had a better salesman. In fact, this is the man, Gates, is the man that built Port Arthur, Texas. And uh, so the other fences had the same effect. They had other names. There was, and this is the ones I've got, Buckthorn. There's Thorny Fence, patented uh, February 11, 1868. There's Brotherton Barb, uh, September 3rd, 1878. Uh, Shins Four Point, 1881. There's heavier gauge Glidden. There's, there's one called Baker. Perfect. And I could go on for hundreds of names. But these are just the few that, that I have. And they all did the same job. Now, you three young men right here. Would you mind? Oh, there's four of you. Good. Yeah, all four of you. Please come up here. In fact, take this. Um, and go and stand up there on that, behind that rail. You know, they say if you're weak on content, use, use uh, illustrations. Hallelujah. Or volume. <laughs> yes, that's right. We'll turn that up in a minute. Um, now, you guys spread out. One, two, three, four. And run these lines in between you. All the way. Take, take both ribbons from end to end. Okay. Now hold them. No, no, no. Not together. Up. Yeah, so you got to have two strands. Yeah, got to have two strands. Okay. These boys, you was raised in the city, wasn't you? I can tell you have never done this before. <laughs> okay, then. You hold the end. You stand here. You hold those both ends. You stand here. You, sir. Yes, thank you. Now, these are the posts. These brethren are at attention. See? And these are the posts. And these are the wires, strands between them. Now... This is kind of the way God did it. Line upon line. Line upon line. A line, if you please, is a commandment. They don't move. They don't change. They're there. But in between you have precept upon precept. Precept upon precept. These are principles. Amen. These are ideas. These are, these are things that we work with. And they're very important because you understand we're living in a different society than other societies in days gone by. There are some things that do not, will not change. But in various societies there are principles 
that we have to draw from and make application to. So I, I don't know if I, I understand that. Well, let me put it to you on this wise. Do you understand that our forefathers 30 years ago, let alone 50, let alone 60 or 70, never had to deal with what we're dealing with in days of modern technology. Brother, we're in a new world. You hear me? And so there are principles and lines, lines and precepts. Now, this top strand, because that's red, white, and blue, okay? Let's just say that is the winner. That is Glidden's winner. That's what won the West. That was America's biggie. And I'm telling you, fencing more than any other thing set it up that was for the settlement of the western part of the United States. Now, let's just say this is Brotherton Barb right here. And Brotherton Barb is different. It had a different appearance. Had a different look, but there was things. It was made out of wire. You could string it. Different kinds of barbs, if you please. But it just, for whatever reasons, it, it never took off. They didn't have a John Warner Gates. Amen. But they did and worked to the same effect. Now, here we are in the closing days of the 20th century. And my older son is 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 called into the ministry. I push nothing at all. And uh, but he's recognized his call. And uh, uh, it's it, it's precious. Let me just say this. But a while back, I was preaching. Was sitting on the front row, and I told our church. I said, "This young man here, except for two things, if I could." I'd give him $100,000, tell him to go to the best university, get the best education money can buy, and forget this preaching business. Except for two things. One, God would kill me probably. And two, I ain't got the money. Hallelujah. Amen. And, and don't get me wrong, it's a great life if it don't get to you. Praise the Lord. Because... We're in such a generation and we're in such a time. And, and, and we're doing our best to present a bride acceptable to the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Paul told the Corinthian church, he said, I've espoused you to one husband. He said, bear with me in my folly. He said, I want to present you as a chaste virgin to Jesus Christ. And he doesn't want them to be beguiled away from the simplicity that's in him. So here we are, and we're doing the best we can with what we've got. But brethren, because your fence may not in all points, I'm not trying to make a barb there. <laughs> yeah, no puns intended. Because your fence is not in all points like my fence does not give me the right to look down my nose at you. To set you at naught. To talk about you. To write you off. Nor does that give you the right to do it to me. 
nor does that give us the right to do it to each other. I have come to the place in time. Thank God for any man that's got a fence up and doing his best. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, you need to back your preacher up when he preaches holiness. You need to be on your feet. Preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. We're behind you all the way. Hallelujah. In all points, and I'm going to tell you something. There is no two people. You know, I've never heard any preacher. But what if I listened to him long enough, I agreed with every single thing he said, including myself. Praise God. So, there may be some differences. But Brotherton Barb would also get the job done. As Glidden's. And so, here we are in life, doing our best to make it. We're dealing with lines and precepts. Thank God anybody that's preaching, praying, teaching, amen, doing the best, fighting to keep the world out of the Lord's vineyard. God bless that man. God smile on that man. God strengthen that man. God lift up the arms of that man. Hallelujah. Now just stay there. You don't have to be at attention. In fact, if you want to lean on that, but, you know, just don't go to sleep on me, but don't leave either. Now years ago, I was at a conference in Oklahoma City. And uh, there was a special session and, and there was a minister that was asked to speak and basically give his testimony. And he, he stood and he began to talk about how the Lord had dealt with him and some things that he'd come through. Many of you, no doubt, were there. And uh, he talked about God had spoke to him concerning holiness, sanctity, separation from the world on three different occasions. He, he did not share one of them, and that was, that was totally fine. But he did share two of them. One, he said he had went and uh, he bought a piece of property and uh, had this nice piece of property. And then he went and bought some some sheep. And when he bought some sheep, the guy threw in some goats with him, just free of charge. And it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> Someday I'm going to preach a message on all the dumb things I've done in life. I'm going to call it, seemed like a good idea at the time. Praise God. Well, so they got, he got these goats, and he found out quick why the guy got one to get rid of the goats. And um, so he had this nice little fence and kept him fed and had water. And, and he'd come out to the property, and the goats would be out, and the sheep would be out. They'd be on the outside of the fence grazing. And so he'd get them all back in. He'd come back and they'd be out. He'd get them back in. He'd come back and they'd be out. Some way, somehow, some form, they'd get out. So he thought, every time I come, they're just outside this little ways. Okay, okay. So he took the fence and he enlarged it to where they had been going. He said, there, now you're happy? And so he come out. And he's outside the fence. 
He'd get him back in. He'd be out. He'd get him back in. He'd be out. So he enlarged the fence to where they were going. He said, all right, this is okay now. Here you go. And he'd come out and they'd be out. So he got tired of it. His property apparently was surrounded by four roads. And uh, ain't no can't eat gravel. So he took down the fences all together and said, There you are! Have at it, Bubba! And he got a call early one morning. And it was his neighbors. He said, Preacher, you might want to come out here. He said, A pack of wild dogs has come in and uh, they got your flock. And he said he went out there. And the blood and the carnage and the wanton killing, blood sport, they didn't even eat them. They just ripped them up. Killed every last one of them. And he said as he was standing there looking at the carnage and the destruction, he said, the Lord God spoke to him. And said these words, Fences are not just to keep things in. They are to keep some things out. Some things out. When God put a hedge around His vineyard, I repeat, He didn't do it to keep the vineyard from running off. But there are wild beasts Amen. That it needed this protection from. And so he said, God dealt with him. And then the struggle was on. I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me. Don't make it hard on your pastor. Amen. Stand up, Brother Brian. Have you ever been trying to talk to somebody? And somebody's, like, like you're trying to talk to Brother Tanny, okay? And somebody's, hey. You know, there's some people, when I see them coming, I avoid them. And, uh, and, and it's just aggravating. You just, you know, they're always just tugging on pulling Don't do that to your pastor in the realm of godliness and righteousness. Leave the man alone. Let him preach. Let him teach. Get behind him. Don't buck. Don't kick. Don't fight. Lift up his hands. Hallelujah. Get behind the man of God. The greatest compliment I have ever been paid my whole life. And I mean this without equivocation. The greatest compliment I've ever received my entire ministry was a young man. We prayed him through. His wife had been married one week when we gave him Bible study. They came to God. Now he was standing there after being in church for eight years. And he had one little girl on one arm and one little baby girl on the other. And he looked at me with tears in his eyes and hugged me with those girls between us. And said, Pastor, thank you 
for making this church a safe place for me and my babies. That's the greatest compliment I've ever received. But while he was thanking me, there's others. Amen. Well, he said he was getting so weary. People pulling so many directions, wanting this, wanting to do that, wanting to get on this side of the fence. Move the fence, now they went over here. Move the fence, now they went over here. He said he was sitting up in the balcony of his church. And he was so weary and so tired. He said, he was praying and he said, God, I'm just going to tell you, I'm through preaching holiness. I'm not even going to bring it up anymore. And he said, God spoke to him in an audible voice and said, And if you do, I will remove your candlestick from its place. This is the third time that I have spoken to you concerning this matter. I will never talk to you again about it. His testimony was, he turned into a bowl of jelly and said he literally crawled down the steps and crawled into his office on his hands and knees and wrote down exactly what God told him. I wish I could tell you the rest of the story was wonderful. But it's not. He's a flower salesman today. And things didn't go well. They did as long as he kept to lines and precepts. But when he threw it overboard, brother, the only thing we see coming up now are the air bubbles to the surface. And that's not something to rejoice over. It's something to break your heart over. And it's something that puts cold chills up the spine of every God-called minister. Let me tell you something. Here we are. We've got an obligation to you. We've got an obligation to our world. We've got an obligation to society. And we've got an obligation to God Almighty. Hallelujah. So God help us. God help us. Years ago, I met Sister Frances Foster. She was a missionary for several, several years to Pakistan. Precious lady. Went to Japan also. And Sister Foster, she, uh, I was talking to her one day, was in revival in Kerman. She was there for several years. And we got to talking and, and she received the Acts 2.38 message up in Portland, Oregon. And apparently it was the remnants of the old Mother Crawford movement. And um, she said she was she repented, baptized in Jesus' name, and received the Holy Ghost. She said, but that's all she got. She said they were they taught nothing, instructed nothing. They performed in the realms of, of holiness, godliness, separation from the world. And so she became a missionary to Pakistan in that way and with this, this little movement. And she said it wasn't until several years later that, that she went to Tulsa and she met there Elder Williams and and uh, they began to talk and they discussed the, the uh, separation of holiness uh, issues. And he took her through the word of God. And, and she said, I saw it. She said, I fell head over heels in love with it. She said, I embraced it to my bosom. And we carried on uh, a concourse of letters to when I had to have questions and back and forth. And, and, and I, said, I said, so when you went there, you were a missionary. 
You had Acts 2.38, but that was all. She said, that's it. I said, and then you received the separation, godly holiness message, and you went back. She said, yes. I said, Sister Foster, I have looked for somebody like you all my life. I said, would you please tell me, what difference did it make? Did it make any kind of a difference at all? She said, ho, ho, ho! Did it make a difference? She said, it was all the difference in the world. Before I embraced holiness, I had no victory and very little power. My life was a constant struggle. I wrestled in my mind and my spirit and my flesh horribly. But after I received the holiness message, there came a fresh, sweet, powerful anointing in my life. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Amen. And Sister Mangan told me last night the difference between a swamp and a river. Swamp has no banks, per se. But a river has banks whereby the water flows. And it keeps it clear and clean and powerful. Hallelujah! What a difference a line can make. Amen. She had... His presence. She had His presence. But she didn't have His glory. And there is a distinct difference between the presence of God and the glory of God. Remember yesterday? He said, my glory is coming down. You better set the the bounds around the mount. And I'm not going to defend my glory. If an ox comes through, somebody comes through, you take care of that. I'm not going to defend my glory. That's up to you. That's your responsibility. Let me tell you, a lot of churches have the presence of God. Not just Acts 2.38 churches either. I'm just telling you, that's the truth. But there's a difference between that and the glory. And the glory. And the glory. And the glory! Brother, when the glory is there, it's there for a reason. God's glory, God's power, God's majesty, God's might, it dwells in the presence of sanctity. It dwells in the presence of holiness. It dwells in the presence of godliness. It dwells in the presence, amen, of separation and obedience to the lines and the precepts. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. So, do these lines matter to God? If we're not careful, we can deceive ourselves easily. Isaiah 58. Begin reading at verse 1. Listen closely to this verse. Cry aloud. Cry aloud. Spare not. Spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. And shew my people their transgressions. Show my people their transgressions. And the house of Jacob their sins. And the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily. Now get this picture. This is a church, if you please. Point number one. They seek me every day. Read. And delight to know my ways. They delight to know my ways. As a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. Read. They ask of me the ordinances. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. Of justice. They take delight in the approaching of They take delight God. in approaching unto God. Wherefore have we fasted? And they fasted. Now you got the picture. 
They prayed every day. They delighted to know His ways. They asked ordinances of justice. They delighted in approaching to God. And they fasted. And thou and they now, whoa, 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 whoa. That sounds like a good church. What on earth did He have to declare to them about? Declare and lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their sin. They're praying every day. They're delighting to know the ways. They're asking ordinances of justice. Delighting and approaching to God in their fastings. were deceiving themselves. Because verse 1. They did it all as. Everybody say as. As a nation that forsook not the ordinances of their God. You're not going to rise higher than the pages of this book, sir. I don't care how much you pray. Delight to know His ways. Ask ordinances of justice. Delight in approaching to God and fast. If you're not going to keep the word of the Lord. Amen. Proverbs 13, 13, I believe. Says, He that forsaketh turneth his ear from the hurrying of the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. You can't have God and reject His Word. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Hallelujah. It's not enough to do all those other things and forsake the ordinances of God. There's got to be something in us. I delight to do thy will, O God. Your word is a light unto my feet. Your word is a lamp unto my path. I do well to take heed to it as I do a light that shines in a dark place. And when we get it all together, the glory, the glory, the glory, the glory, the glory, the glory. Hallelujah. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. The heaven is my throne. Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. And this whole huge earth is nothing but God's footstool. Where is the house that ye build for me? Where is the house, the temple, the place, the building? That you're going to build for God. Heaven's His throne. Earth is His footstool. Read. For all those things has mine hands made. Have you got $85 billion to do a duplicate of the temple that Solomon built? Read. And all those things have been, saith the Lord. All those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will None look... of those things impress God. And brother, that's not anti-building. Right. We're trying to raise $3 million right now, and it's a slow go, brother. But we figure that's what it's going to take. But, to this but I'm going to tell you something. It don't matter if we got $13 billion in the mail today. Billion, I said. It ain't going to impress God. That ain't going to move God. He's not going to call the angels to heaven and say, Hey, this really neat. Look what happened. They got $13 billion. That don't impress God. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you what impresses God. Read. But to this man, but to this man, will I look? Will I look? Even to him, even that to is him, poor, poor, and of a contrite, spirit, humble spirit, and trembling, and trembleth at my word. At my word, Hallelujah! You want to catch the attention of God? Take His word serious. You want to walk in the ways and the light and the goodness of God? Take His word serious. Amen. Let there be something inside of you. Amen. A a, a respect and. Awe and admiration and love and adherence. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Something that when your pastor preaches it, oh, thank God. Preach, brother, preach. Preach, brother, preach. Preach, brother, preach. Preach, brother, preach. We got to hear it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, okay, brethren, scoot in just a little. The blinds are there, but the fence is sagging. And so every now and then, you don't move the lines, you stretch the wire. So, brother, you suck it up on your end. No, 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 don't you move. You're a line. You got to pull all this wire. You guys let loosen up a little. I mean, you know, let him get it. Ah! And thank God, four years ago we preached holiness. And look at that fence. Now, but one year, two years, whatever. Move in. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, suck it up. Ha, ha, ha. You know, it just takes a lot of wire stretching. It takes a lot of wire stretching. That don't mean you've got to do it every service. Hallelujah. In fact, I'm going to throw this your way. I'm just going to throw this your way. Think about this. Some of you may like it, may not. When you look to the realms of sanctity, uh, modesty, standards of dress, etc., you do understand that those lines, compared to the whole body of information in the Bible, is relatively minute. Brother... You don't have, if you combine it all together, ten chapters on it. You don't got two good chapters on it. You got lots of principles and precepts. You hear me? But the actual lines in some of these things, we don't have that much. But it is there. And because it's there, we got to do something with it. And because our society is going to Hades in a handbasket and things are changing so much, we have to give more emphasis to things that, that, that man, we didn't even have to think about. I got a, I got a picture. I, I pastored 12 and a half years in Roy Grandy. was on the ocean. I've got a picture of people at Pismo Beach for a day of swimming. Pismo Beach, California. I promise you, the men down on Pismo Beach were in suits. God is my witness with ties. And the women all had dresses to the ground. And this ain't one picture. This is picture after picture. That was the way they lived. That was life at the turn of the century. You know, I remember the time 
was 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 teaching a new convert deal, and and uh, and, I, and I mentioned, uh, uh, you know, now see, we lived on the ocean, the beach. I wasn't about to get up there and preach against going to the beach. I say why not? Because sure as the world, if I said it, my God, I want to go to the beach. I never get to go to the beach. As it is, we live there, but it's used to it. Nobody hardly even went. Okay? But we was in the process of teaching. Somebody asked a question and talked about bathing suits. So I talked about mixed bathings and things of this. Well, there was a, a new convert lady there. She goes, whoa! I said, uh, yes, sis. She said, <coughs> Are you telling me we cannot, you know, like get in a bathing suit and go down to the beach? I said, well, Sister Dixie, and please don't, I'm not being, I hope I'm not being off color. I hope I'm, praise God. I said, uh, would you go down there in your underclothes? Oh, no, of course not. I said, the only difference is the color of the material. I said, <clears throat> she said, but what do I tell my husband? Well, tell your husband you're going to get in your underclothes and parade around and sunbathe in the front yard. <laughs> what will he tell you? He said, no way. Okay. <clears throat> tell him, no more. It don't matter the color of material. Say, honey, I'm for you alone. Yeah. And... uh but do you understand if we'd have been pastoring at 1900, I'd have never had to broach the subject. Because society had some sense. Now we got to cover stuff. Oh. Now, this is, this is Brotherton Barb, okay? This is not your fence. Alright? There's no, I don't look down at you. No. This is just me. Just me! In fact, so that I can't see your faces. <laughs> this is just me, I personally, okay? I personally, personally, just me. <laughs> I ask our folks for their sleeves to be past the elbow. Well, I'll take that off. <laughs> now, it's not that I think, it's not, uh, it's not a heaven and hell issue. My only deal, this is my only deal. People say, why do you do it? Because everybody knows where their elbow is. That's it, that's it, that's just me. You say, well, what's the difference between this flesh and this flesh? My answer is, what's the difference between this flesh and this flesh and this flesh? My only point is just simply this. Somewhere you've got to draw the line. You say, no, you don't know. Well, yeah, you do. There's a judge down in Florida that there was a nude beach and then there was a, you know, semi-nude. <laughs> and, uh, and, and there was a lady that got arrested for being in the semi-nude. And they arrested her for nudity. She said, I am not. They said, ma'am, you most certainly are. And it went to the court system. 
and a judge, a judge. Don't you know his shoulders sagged? Had to issue a decree declaring how many centimeters of certain body parts had to be covered. And he had to get down to centimeters, had to be covered in order to go to the semi-nude beach. And that, no ma'am, I'm sorry, a piece of dental floss does not constitute a bathing suit. That's a fact. That's a fact. They even had to draw a line. We're living in a weird world. You know, it's like this. There's a line. It's a line. Hey man, that men do not have long hair and women do not cut their hair. That's a line. That's a line. That's a line. Some may say, no, well, you know, it's just a shame. It's not really a sin. Well, I'm going to tell you something. When it says it's a shame for a man to have long hair, that's the exact same word in the Greek as Romans 1.26, where it says God gave them up to vile affections. It's the same word. I don't want to be vile in the sight of God over affections or hair or anything else. Now, whether, whether people wear it up or down, ladies, me, it's just me. If, if your pastor feels and asks you to wear it up, walk with him. You say, well, he's just preaching his personal conviction. You know, on two occasions we find Moses preached his personal conviction. Listen to the tape yesterday. And God seemed to honor it. But, mine, I, this is all I ask. I just say, I don't care if it's up or down. Just please don't look like a witch. That's all I ask. That's all. Just don't come in looking like you come off a broomstick. And every now and then, I will get my hair and I'll mess it up horribly. And I'll step to the pulpit. And everybody's... And I say, this is my new style. When you see me at Walmart, this is the way I'll be. When I'm out in my front yard, this is the way I'll be. When I'm driving down the street and I see you and you're with your neighbors and you're telling them what a great church we've got and they need to come. And in fact, there's my pastor's car right there. I said, come on, you want to be proud of me? Maybe I'd like to be proud of you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Now I'm just going to throw this your way. See, dealing with lines and precepts. You know, folks, I'm deeply troubled about something. You do understand sports has become the god of this world. They are idols. Do you realize that when a disease-ridden individual can pull down over $50 million a year and the president gets 200000 I know some of you are saying, well, you get what you pay for. But I don't know. No, no. I'm just telling you there's something wrong here. 
There's something amiss here. There's something, there's something out of kilter here somewhere. We're in a society that's gone crazy. And there's nothing wrong with playing football. There's nothing wrong with playing basketball. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with playing. There ain't nothing wrong with that. Man, years ago I had a man come to me and he started naming off the leagues he was joining. Amen. We're talking about out in the world. He's going to join up all these leagues. I said, please don't. He said, well, unless you give me some good reasons, brother, I'm gone. I'll be living for God. I said, you know, and I began to tell him what I've been taught. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him when God has called to be a soldier. I said, what are you going to do when it comes church night and they've got something going? What are you going to do? I said, and it ain't going to be just once or in a blue moon. It's going to be that way. What are you going to do about your little boys that are going to see all this? What are you going to be instilling into them? Where's the priorities going to be? He said, well, I don't see that. So I got to praying. Praying and praying. I said, God, I know what I've been taught and I know it's right. I said, but I want you to talk to me. I want to hear it from you. I want to know your heartbeat. I want to know how you feel. So a couple of weeks later, in serious praying, I was preaching in Oklahoma City. After the service, I went, sat in the pastor's uh, office and I was sitting there. And all of a sudden, these scriptures began to roll over my mind. 1 Corinthians 7. And when they did, I promise you, I almost fell out of my chair. I'd never seen it on this wise. Amen. Verse 29. This is the principle. But this I say. But this I say. Brethren. Brethren. The time is short. The time is short. It remaineth. It remaineth. That both they that have wives. They that have wives. Be as though they had none. As though they were never married. Time's so short. My wife don't like that scripture particularly. But when we step across. It's going to be as if we were never married. Read. And they that weep. Weep. As though they wept not. As though you never wept. Shed a tear. And they that rejoice. Rejoice. As though they rejoiced not. As though you never rejoiced. And they that buy. They that buy. As though they possessed not. As though you never owned a thing. And they that use this world. Use this world. As not abusing it. As not abusing it. For the fashion of this world, this fashion of this world passeth is away. going to pass away. Time here is short. When we cross the river, it's endless. And these few days here will be as though it never happened. Read. But I would have you without carefulness. But I want you to be without anxiety or carefulness. He that is unmarried. He that now. Whoa, you talk about meddling. <laughs> you know, the job of a preacher is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Praise God. <laughs> now, marriage was the first institution the world ever knew. Marriage was instituted by God Almighty Himself. He that findeth a wife findeth a good thing in favor of the Lord. Marriage bed is, is, is undefiled. Blessed is the man has got children. Yeah, a quiver full of them. God bless you. Hallelujah. So he that is married, he that is unmarried, unmarried, careth for the things that belong to the Lord. That belong to God. How he may please the Lord. How he may please the Lord. But he... 
that is married, he that is married, careth for the things that are of the world. Now look, you may be the man of God down at the church, but you're just Jake around here. Get the trash out. I don't need to take out the trash. You might be shocked, sir. <laughs> you may wish you had taken it out more often. <laughs> Read. How he may please his How wife. How he may please his wife. There is a... Everything in life's a trade-off, brother. Lord, I'm going to pray. When I get my wife, I don't get home. I'm going to tell you, it ain't going to be hot. There's going to be troubles in River City. <laughs> Read. There is difference. There is a difference. Also between also. a wife, wife and a virgin. Virgin. The unmarried woman careth for the things of the Lord. Careth for the things of the Lord. That she may be holy both in body and in spirit. Read. But she that is married careth for the things of the world. Got to change them diapers. Got to feed that baby. Got to wash them dishes. Got to wash them clothes. How she may please her husband. Got to fix him breakfast. Got to fix him lunch. Got to fix him dinner. Yeah. Read. And this I speak for your own now, profit. the first institution the world ever knew. Paul is saying, made by God, created by God, and blessed of Almighty God. If you're not careful, it's got the ability to distract us from the very best. Then, brothers and sisters, how much more so hooked up with things that God is not within a million miles of. That are not blessed and ordained. Read. Not that I may cast a snare I'm upon you. I'm not preaching this to cast a snare upon you or to make everybody single the rest of their life. But for that which is comely. But I'm preaching it for that which is comely, Paul said. And that you may attend upon the Lord without distraction. Without distraction. We are so distracted. By so many things. Did you know there's a second century addendum by a second century scribe in the book of Luke? He put in this note. Luke died in Boeotia at the age of 84. Having neither wife nor children, he served the Lord without distraction. There's some things we've got to understand. And brother, I'm married. I'm staying married by the grace of God. I love being married. Hallelujah. My only regret is that I didn't get married. Don't forget that. Hallelujah. <laughs> I got boys and they listen to tapes. <laughs> my, my middle son got married when he was 20 and I said, you're too young. Then I remembered that's how old I was. <laughs> so if something like that can distract us, help us, Jesus. Help us not to be distracted by stuff that ain't going to make no difference. Amen. Come on. Come on. Come on. I've gone on long enough, but I'm going to close in just a minute. We are living in days that are unparalleled. And this is my feeling on this. Modern technology has swept in to America, much of uh, the world countries. And has swept in like Babylon and picked us all up and carried us away.
to Babylon. You say, I don't believe that. It's a fact anyhow. Amen. Uh, musicians come. Don't play. Just give us hope. Just give us hope. Before and after the turn of the century, coming into this century, there was an American... I don't even remember his denomination, but, but you'll recognize the name. Uh, itinerant evangelist by the name of Billy Sunday. Let me tell you about Billy Sunday, how big he was in this society. The, the 18th Amendment that did away with selling of liquor in the United States, the Prohibition Law, they called it the Billy Sunday Amendment. He had a message he preached, a man about booze and boozers, that in one day in the state of Illinois, he preached it. And in one day, he by himself shut down 465 bars in the state of Illinois. He did it. When Billy Sunday was asked to come to a city to hold a revival, these were the terms. I will only come into your city and preach except under these conditions being met. Number one. Every Protestant pastor in this town has to sign a letter asking me to come. Number two, if I'm there six weeks or six months, nobody preaches in that city except me. Number three, you must band together and build an auditorium that seats a minimum of 10,000, preferably 18,000, and if you can afford it, 20,000 people. Four, you've got to build it as close to downtown as is possible. Lease or purchase the property. If you'll meet those conditions, I will come and preach in your city. And they did it everywhere. And when they would come, brass bands would ring and play. City officials would come out. Governors would come. And they'd have a parade through town because Billy Sunday had come to town. The city of Philadelphia alone. Over 100,000 people came out to hear him preach. And it was like that all over America. But America went into World War I. He was as big in World War I or bigger than ever. But the war was over in 1919. And within two years after World War I, the decline of Billy Sunday started. So that fewer and fewer cities would meet it when they would meet it. Less and less people would come. By the way, all offerings went to buying the tabernacle, paying for everything. And the last offering, the last night, was his and his troop that went with him. At any rate, fewer and fewer cities would meet the obligations. And when he came, the crowds weren't near as big. And then before it was over, Billy Sunday was reduced to preaching to small country churches drawn a few people with memories and that was it and he changed nothing about what he believed he changed nothing about his ministry nothing thank you brother that's good I appreciate it did you hear him? you heard Billy Sunday I want to talk to you but they said there were three things that brought Billy Sunday down 
and they were modern technology. You ready? Cars, radios, motion pictures. Because America could go somewhere else. They could stay home and listen to the radio, or they could go to the shows. And it was a different world than before World War I. So as far as America's spirituality, technology has already begun to affect it. Now here we are. And, and I've made mention of this, but you know, there's things that, that came out and I don't, I don't pride myself on being conservative because if you do, you've already lost it. But I've been very, tried to be careful. And if you want to use the term gone out, far to the right on everything that I could do. But you know what? As far to the right as I got, modern technology still kept flanking me. And I decided there ain't, I can't go far enough. I had a boy call. You said, oh, well, you can do something about it. Well, I don't know. I had a boy call me. He went to our Christian school. He wasn't in our church, but he went to our Christian school. He was 19 years old. He called me sobbing, crying. He said, Brother Booker, I'm in trouble. I said, what's wrong? He said, my dad's kicking me out. I said, oh, Chris, why? What happened? He said, well, I got on the telephone. He did what? He got to call him these 900 numbers. I said, oh, Chris, you didn't. Yeah, I did. I said, well, how long have you been doing it? He said, only about a month. I said, well, what happened? He said, my dad got the bill. I said, well, how much was it? He said, $6,200. That's with a telephone, sir. I'm telling you, we can get in trouble six ways from Sunday. Never move a muscle hardly. Just push a button. And I don't have all the answers. Nobody does. This I do know. When Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were carried off all into Babylon. The king's table, the king's meat, the king's wine. Daniel said, the fence is still there. But it's in my heart. I purpose in my heart I will not defile myself with the king's meat. There are things I will not do. There are things I will not watch. There are things I will not partake of. I have purposed in my heart. And I'm telling you that's where we better get the revelation. You hear me? Because God is going to find out what everything and everybody's made out of. Let's all stand. Mr. Video Man, shoot in real close on my face. For you that are watching this on video, I would like to speak to you, sir, ma'am, mothers, dads, with children. I guess if all you ever watched was church services and family things, you'd be alright. But if on the same machine you're watching me right now,
You're watching Hollywood and all of its skewered perversions. Morally, mentally, emotionally, theologically, every other way. Sir, you've got a problem in your house. You don't need that. It's not going to do you any good. It's not going to pull the family across for the long haul. I'm begging you. Rethink what you... So my God, we've got a purpose in our heart. My house is going to be a place of sanctity. My home is going to be a place of godliness. My house, there's not going to be anything that worketh or defileth or bringeth abomination. I will please my God, my King, that saved me. Book Second Kings. I'm close. Jehu pulled up. It was the day of vengeance. Out of an upper room. Jezebel stuck her head. Painted up. Tall up. Trying to entice one last time. To use her wiles that she'd used all her life. To see if maybe she could escape. And she looked down the window at Jehu. Jehu looked at her. Hey! Is there anybody here on the Lord's side? Did you ever notice who threw her off the wall? Munichs. She had no pull on them. As far as they're concerned, it's like throwing over a sack of potatoes. It's hard to throw Jezebel off the wall if she is enticing to you. It's hard to deal with some issues if they're too close to your spirit. It's hard to deal with it if it means too much to you. It's hard to preach against television if you're sitting around and watching it all the time in your motel room. Somewhere there's got to be something that gets in us that says, I'm passing through this life one time. God, I want to please you. God, I want to make you happy. God, I want to bring you glory. Because God's vineyard and God's people and our God is worth it all. Get behind your pastor. Get behind your preacher. Lift up his arms in prayer. Hallelujah. He's in the toughest spot in the earth. Pray for him. Lift up his hands. Send him a card. Send him a letter. Let him know. I'm with you, pastor. I'm behind you, pastor. You don't got to worry about me. We'll walk together all the way to glory. Let's love him. I love him.